Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. I am your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Adam. How are you? I am doing fantastic. That's great. I am very excited to talk about the news of the weekend because there was some big news involving uh, my favorite football team from the United States. My other favorite football team did win on Sunday, but and the score Jets, 100 and score 100 goals too. They did. They did score 100 goals, and uh, De Bruyne tied Tyrion Reese's assist record. But that's not what we're talking about. That is a different kind of football. How this was your weekend, Adam? Was it good? It's good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Good. I'm yeah. glad. So, yeah, the news and notes, pretty – the first two things, pretty pretty basic stuff. It's just, you know, the Washington football team are now just the Washington football team. It's a bit of a, a lazy placeholder. If you, I think we were ahead me. of our time on this podcast when we were referring to them as a Washington football team, just saying. Or, yeah. or well – well, I think we really more referred to them as the Washington R words, but the Washington football team definitely. Uh, I just Washington has a nice ring to it too. But it's just like I don't know. I feel like I get it. I can play like a little devil's advocate for this and just say that you know coming coming up with a name and a logo. They it takes time. It takes it takes years. You know sometimes teams you know they focus group. Uh, a lot of this stuff, I mean, I think most of the science teams like focus group this stuff because they don't want to have anything where they release it and the fans are just like, wow, this is terrible. I hate this. I mean, inevitably it happens to some with some people, but they don't want to have a situation like what happened with uh, the Chicago Fire in the MLS and also with the uh, Los Angeles Rams when they released their their new logo and their new uniforms. And they was just like wide, widely panned by everybody with a, with a pulse and a semblance of, of fashion insight. Stan Kroenke sent it to approval from Stan Kroenke and Stan Kroenke approved of it. Yep. Basically the way that I imagine it is he's in a mirror and he's holding up the design to himself in the mirror. He's like, so Stan, what do you think about this? And then he turns to some weird direction. He's like, you know what, Stan? I think that this logo and this, these uniforms, I think they're great. I love them. And then he turns around, turns over to the other side and say, you know what? That's good thinking, Stan. That's why we hired you. That's why we brought you into this, into this team. And you're, then, so, you're so handsome, Stan. No, Stan, you're so handsome. Oh, well, thank you, Stan. You're welcome. And then he sets it in. That's what happened. So yeah, the Washington football team, that's just their name now. Um, placeholder and maybe next year hopefully next year they come up with an actual name and it's i think they have nowhere to go but up as far as names are concerned especially if they want to uh keep the the logo or keep the uh, colors of maroon and gold so um and then also the news is kind of like that uh cam newton and tom brady have arrived in there Training camp digs, uh, Cam Newton going to Boston and uh, Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Seriously, I, in 2019, if we did this show, I would have guessed it was Cam Newton going to Tampa Bay and 
Tom Brady just going back to whatever he was doing in Foxborough, Massachusetts. You would have but, told me in 2019 that the world would be shut down in a year. Tom Brady would be playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Cam Newton would be the starting quarterback, at least in theory, for the New England Patriots. I would have said you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's been a weird year. 2020. 2020 has been something. Can't wait for people. Can't wait for people to say. Hopefully, 2021 is a great year. Well, well, just wait. Can't be any worse. It's not going to take a lot for it yeah. to be much better. Oh my god! I wonder what's going to happen when historians look back on the year 2020. Not only like regular historians, but just sports historians. 25 years from now, if we're still alive by then, people are going to. Be, kids are going to be learning about this in school. Yeah. Like, that's actually kind of crazy. I know. This is how, this is like how people, like, during World War, during like World War I and World War II, I mean, I don't know how, like, self aware they were about the situation, but they're like, but that's how they felt. Like, we're, like, they're in the middle of history when this is happening. Yep. Or people who were part of, like, the civil rights movement in, uh, in the 50s and 60s. And, um, people along those lines so yeah it's pretty cool yeah i mean it's terrible that we're living through it but it's it's a thing to tell the grandkids about it's like back in that back in my day sports fucking shut down for three months we had no we didn't know what to do with ourselves and we had to stay at home forever before tesla and amazon took over the world there was a time this thing called COVID-19 shut the world down. Yes. Anyway, uh, that's like, that's small potatoes compared to the big news that happened over the weekend, which is that Jamal Adams has been traded to the Seattle Seahawks. Jamal Adams and a 2022 fourth round pick has been traded to the Seattle Seahawks for a first round pick in 2021, a third round pick in 2021, and a first round pick in 2022. Bill O'Brien, take notes. This is how you get a return for your player. And the interesting thing is that, you know, you see what's in common with the players that have been traded for multiple first round picks. Khalil Mack, Jay Cutler, Stefan Diggs, Laramie Tunsil, they all, all four of them play premium positions, quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, maybe not as much, but edge rusher, especially, definitely. And yeah, they're worth multiple first round picks. And not to say that Jamal Adams isn't worth multiple first round picks, but he is. But I think that you might agree with me on this, but I think the Seahawks are the only team that was really were willing to pay multiple first round picks for a player at a, at a position that is important. Yes. But is not the kind of position that wins you Super Bowls. Adam, you're right. And, and from what I know, and from what I've been told, there was one other team in the running, but they were not willing to go two first round picks for Jamal Adams. It was only the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks were able to uh, to get it done. Joe Douglas was in uh, close communication with uh, Jamal Adams and his uh, his agent, and they were working very closely 
to uh, to get the deal done, to get Jamal Adams to go to a destination that he wanted to go to while also getting the maximum return for the New York Jets. And there were plenty of people that were speculating that the Cowboys, you know, they've been on in on Jamal Adams for a long time. But also what I was told was that the Cowboys and Jamal Adams and the Jets, there was no real communication between the two sides since the trade deadline when the Cowboys offered up their first round pick for Jamal Adams and Joe Douglas basically said, we're going to hold on to Jamal Adams and see what we can get from him in the off season. And it turned out to be a very, very good gamble by Joe Douglas to hold out to maximize the return for Jamal Adams. And they got two first round picks for him. And, and Adam, like you said, this is what you get for superstar players, Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack, Stefan Diggs. I don't know if I would say Stefan Diggs is a superstar player, but players at the peak of their value where you're trading them and you expect a, a haul. And the Jets did get a haul. So very fair play by, by Joe Douglas for getting this done. And fair play to the Seahawks too. You know, this is a piece that could potentially put them over the top and get them into the elite echelon of teams in the NFC along with the Saints, along with the Packers, along with the Bucks, along with the 49ers, along with the Cowboys. The NFC, the NFC is loaded, quite the frankly. The NFC West is loaded. The NFC West is loaded. The NFC is absolutely loaded with really good teams that could potentially, you know, be fighting. We could talk, be talking about an elite team being a six seed in the NFC playoffs, which is nuts to me. Yep. Or the yep. seven seed, or the seven seed, because that extra team now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, very, very fair play to uh, to the New York Jets. They uh, they got a good return. They can continue their rebuild, and um, the rebuild won't be fully underway until they fire Adam Gaze, which. Bold prediction I think happens before week five. Oh yeah, definitely. I I I I so so hope that that happens. I just Adam Gay is just so. I wanted I want him to be good because obviously you know you want the team to be good, but you just feel like the team is going backwards. It is. Like even under Todd, Bo- the team was better under Todd Bowles. Yeah, it was. Even the year that we went four and twelve, and Todd Bowles got fired, that team I think was better. Was better run. There was something. Yeah, there was something. There. there was something there was with that team. Yeah, there was hope. You knew what you were going through, but now it just seems like the Jets. The Jets just feel like they're in a middle place when really, they're no better than where they were when they were four and twelve. Quite well, frankly, we're in, we're in Adam Gaze. That's what the Adam Gaze world where you're, the Dolphins. Yes. That's yes, what the Dolphins were. They were like, oh, do we suck or are we good? Do we suck or are we good? Hey, the good, the good news, though, is if you are the Miami Dolphins, after they did fire Adam Gaze, they were able to get a proper head coach that could potentially lead them into the future with Brian, with Brian Flores. Well, hopefully. So if you can be the Miami Dolphins and fire Adam Gaze and then get a good head coach, namely a John Filippo, who probably is going to be the most likely given – he can work with Sam Darnold and has a good rapport with Joe Douglas, given their time together in Philadelphia. That that might be the uh, the most logical uh, hire for the uh, for the Jets. But at the end of the day, the Jets need to continue their uh, their retooling, rebuilding, whatever you want to call it. And um, firing Adam Gaze is probably step one. And maybe you could say if you can get a second or third round pick out of Le'Veon Bell, you 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 trade him too. Well, I think if you get a if you get a good coach in, aside from Adam Gaze, 
who would actually know how to use Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Although yeah, John Eric Beniemi, really... John DiFilippo. Well, well, John DiFilippo also kind of he doesn't really neglected Leonard Fournette. Yeah. And Dalvin Cook also. And Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Which is why he got fired from Minnesota. True, because Mike Zimmer wanted to run the ball. Exactly. Yeah. So. So if you want to place emphasis on Sam Darnold, then then John DiFilippo may maybe your guy for the New York Jets, but. All in all, I mean, this this trade was – it sent shockwaves. I was completely stunned. I know when I texted you, you thought I was texting you about Regis Philbin. And it was about Jamal Adams. I didn't, I didn't get the notification yet. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know Bird was such a big fan of uh, – Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was a fantastic show. Yeah. Great, great program. It was, very, it was, it was a surprise. I'll just say that. Regis Philbin dying or Jamal yeah. Adams tra- getting traded? No, Regis Philbin dying. That was uh, I, honestly I hadn't even heard of heard of him in years, so I was kind of like, "Oh, Regis Philbin's still alive." But hey, no matter what, we need to protect Betty White at all costs. So yeah, this is this is it. I mean, this is you know maximizing value out of this position and getting a, a solid safety. Also, Bradley McDougal, who they got uh, in the trade, who has more interceptions over the course of the last two years than Jamal Adams does. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the Jets also drafted, uh, we also drafted Ashton Davis uh, this year. So he should be in the running for the uh, strong safety position. And, you know, if Marcus May doesn't get injured again, uh, like last year, or I mean the rest of the defense for that matter, doesn't get, get injured again, then the Jets Happy could days. still be solid because Greg Williams is a great, is like probably the best defensive coordinator to be in this situation right now. Because he's a, he's a versatile guy who knows how to make a good defense out of middling players. And we saw that with the complete shit show dumpster fire that was the Jets secondary, aside from Jamal Adams, uh, last year. And was able to turn the Jets into a top 10 defense when most of their starters were, were injured. Very true. So, yeah, let's move on to our major – well, the main part of the podcast, the main thing that we're going to be talking about, a continuation of our recurring series where we go into preview the divisions and from a fantasy perspective, of course, and just talk about these, uh, these teams and what they can bring to the table as far as uh, fantasy is concerned. So let's start off with the Houston Texans. And, oh boy, this team is kind of uh, interesting. And Deshaun Watson is really, as far as I'm concerned, Deshaun Watson is the only player I'm looking at as far as players with starting potential in fantasy football. Would you, would you agree with that? I think you made a case for the, uh, for the starting running back there, David Johnson, if you're looking at him for being an RB2. But in terms of the main surefire guys, yeah, Deshaun Watson is uh, – is definitely the guy, but he also has the third toughest strength of schedule for quarterbacks this season. So that is obviously something to uh, to look at. And I also look at the guys that are around Deshaun Watson and kind of the range where they are going. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. I would rather have all those those three guys all over Deshaun Watson. And then I look at also, of course, the top two guys, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, so then it really comes down to the guys that are in the Deshaun Watson range, guys like Matt Ryan, guys like Carson Wentz, guys like uh, Matt Stafford, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. 
Deshaun Watson, I think, is above all those guys. I think really the only uh, question would be Deshaun Watson or Matt Ryan. Who would you rather have? Because Matt Ryan, we all know, is captain consistent, has Julio Jones, has Calvin Ridley. Whereas Deshaun Watson, he's throwing to Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller. So, maybe. If Will yeah, Fuller stays healthy. Yeah, maybe. Exactly. We'll get to Will Fuller in a minute. But I have Deshaun Watson at about 3,800 passing yards, bordering on 3,900. I have him at 27 touchdowns, and I have him rushing for about 500 yards and getting four touchdowns. So overall, we're talking about Deshaun Watson being a 30-plus total touchdown guy, which then makes him about a QB5, QB6. This is where I have him uh, in my rankings, and I would say he's probably – He's probably you could probably have him in his best spot probably around the late six, late round six, early round seven range, and I think uh, that would be a good spot for Deshaun Watson because at the end of the day, talent shows itself, and Deshaun Watson, you could make a case as one of the uh, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the National Football League right there, with of course Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I think Deshaun Watson would have a very good case to be the third most talented quarterback in the league. Based on that, if you want to put Russell Wilson in that conversation as well, I would definitely hear it. But overall, I think it's going to be a very solid season for Deshaun Watson, but I don't think the floor is as safe as it was in years past just because of the clear downgrade in weapons that Deshaun Watson now has. He's gone from DeAndre Hopkins to Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and David Johnson. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, – it'll be interesting. I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to have uh, – the, the, the safe floor that he has had in, in recent years. But I think the, uh, the high ceiling is definitely still there with him, given the kind of talent that he is as well. Yep, exactly. And uh, speaking of running backs, I think, I mean, the trade is terrible for trading DeAndre Hopkins away. Yeah. But the Texans did upgrade at running back, I think, over uh, who they had last year, where they have uh, – now they have David Johnson and Duke Johnson because David Johnson's still like a solid player. He's not like horrible, like terror no. bad as no, not by any stretch. But I still think he's a one season wonder. But that's not that's neither here nor there. Hey, your your prediction of that is looking better and better by the day. Yep, but still, I think just like David Johnson, uh, basically since Arian Foster left the team. He's been the best running back the Texans have have had. Yeah. He is the best running back the Texans have had since Arian Foster. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, that David Johnson has, you know, he'll get you a fair amount of yards on the ground, and he's also pretty, pretty solid in uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. I think for where people are getting him, there are better options. You I agree. Doubt, yeah. Uh, there was a scenario that you were telling me about, I think off air or something where if you go uh, all wire, if you go zero running back and even then you could still like in one mock draft, you're saying you can like Chris Carson was there yeah, as well. And yep. it's an, in a, in a 10 team league. Yeah. It was uh, Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas at the four. Then I was able to get uh, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper in the third. So then have three yard receivers right away. Michael Thomas, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper with the first three picks. And then in the fourth round, I was able to pick up Chris Carson. And then in the fifth round, I was able to get Melvin Gordon. So yeah, that which that's solid. Yeah. And then uh Duke Johnson, 
uh, is definitely more, I think, balanced as far as passing and ca- or uh, catching the ball out of the backfield and running the ball where he's going to be used in uh, equal situations. But even then, it's kind of like Duke Johnson's kind of like a worse David Johnson because, like, they still can catch the ball out of the backfield. They're still pretty good at that. But, like, Duke Johnson doesn't really have, like, the running ability that David Johnson has. So, yeah, it's kind of just – really, you're looking at David Johnson here for the Texans as far as running backs are concerned, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I'm kind of good with taking David Johnson in like the middle of the fourth round. I think that's kind of where he, where he should be going in that Chris Carson, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon sort of group. I think he's like right in the middle of that. I think that's a a, a fair enough spot to use him because it's very clear if Bill O'Brien is trading his best offensive player for him, not named Deshaun Watson. Maybe you want to say DeAndre Hopkins is better than Deshaun Watson. I would I would hear the argument. I would. Um, then it's very clear to me that David Johnson is going to be utilized in some fashion. Um, I have him down for about 900 rushing yards with six rushing touchdowns. And then I'm sprinkling in 45 receptions for him for about a uh, 385 receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. So overall I have, I have David Johnson at about 1300 total scrimmage yards with nine or 10 touchdowns. So that's not terrible for a guy that's going in the middle of the fourth round. As for Duke Johnson, I mean, if you are if you are going with the zero RB, I think this is a fine year to do it um, if you really want to, but you are going to need to get some targets for you in the fourth round that you are going to go and jump on. And one of those guys could be David Johnson. And if David Johnson is your RB1, then you are, yes, you're going to be interested in handcuffing him with Duke Johnson. I think Duke Johnson's a fine play in PPR if something does happen to David Johnson, given his ability to catch the ball. I have Duke Johnson down for 50 receptions for about 390 and three touchdowns. So I got him at just a little bit more than uh, Duke Johnson in terms of his receptions, but that's just how I feel about Duke Johnson as a receiving back versus David Johnson, where Duke Johnson, I don't have him really down for anything with his rushing numbers, but with his receiving numbers, yeah, I have them pretty, uh, pretty beefed up just in case something does happen to uh, to David Johnson. So if you are going to take David Johnson as your RB1, you are going to go zero, zero RB, then Duke Johnson is a very, very nice insurance policy to have on your bench just in case something does happen to your uh, number one running back. But if you are taking David Johnson as your second, perhaps your third running back, uh, then there is no real need to uh, handcuff David Johnson in, in that regard. Yep. Yeah, you shouldn't be relying your – your team on David Johnson, it's not 2016. Just don't do it. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, moving on to the wide receivers. Uh, the top two targets definitely are going to be Brandon Cooks and Wolf Fuller. And Wolf Fuller is, I think he's more like a poor man's Tyreek Hill with more of an injury history, where it seems that Wolf Fuller is injured in some sort of way every year. In his rookie year, he was doing really well, and then he tore his ACL, unfortunately. Um, last year, I believe he had a uh, – was it a hamstring injury? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That kept him out for a couple of games. And, I mean, he has the propensity to just have a game, like have an incredible game, and then follow it up with either not playing or just not doing anything, period. And, as yeah. 
Adam, I don't know if you saw on uh, over the weekend they had on the NFL's official Twitter, they had the highlights from Will Fuller's uh, 217 yard, three touchdown, 54 fantasy point explosion against the uh, the Falcons, and that's just like a uh, a little tease, I think, to remind people. Oh yeah, Will Fuller's a guy you should go and uh, overdraft him in uh, in fantasy. Yeah, right. That's it's like the, a, it's the classic overdraft every every single year. Every single year, it is the same thing that people are overdrafting Will Fuller every single year. It's it's laughable. It really is. Well, it's like, oh, maybe this is the year he doesn't get injured. And it's like, what are you kidding? Of course he's going to get injured. It's Will Fuller. It is Will Fuller. Exactly. It's like Frank – remember like early in Frank Gore's career when Frank Gore would get injured every single year? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like Alshon Jeffrey. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know what you're getting out of Alshon Jeffrey. When I, but, yeah, when I first started playing fantasy, I guess it was maybe 10 or 11 years ago when I was in camp, um, they were just like, why the hell do people keep drafting Frank Gore so early? He always gets injured. And now look at Frank Gore. He's a Hall and of now, Famer. Yep, he's a Hall of Famer. That's right. So I have Will Fuller down for about 65 catches. 830 receiving yards and five touchdowns. This is all, of course, dependent on Will Fuller staying healthy for 16 games. I do not expect that to happen. But, I mean, if you're really interested in drafting one of the Texans guys and you're asking me who do I like more, I do happen to like Will Fuller a lot more than than Brandon Cooks. And I think if you're going to go and invest in one, I would invest in Will Fuller just because I think the upside is just so much greater with Will Fuller versus what it is with, of course, Brandon Cooks. As for Brandon Cooks, I have him about the same projections as Will Fuller. I have him down for about 60 receptions at 830 receiving yards and four touchdowns. So I just have the touchdowns down a hair and the the receiving yards down a hair. But, of course, if Will Fuller is out injured, then Brandon Cooks' numbers are obviously going to – to get bigger and you could potentially see if if will fuller if for whatever reason does not play for a substantial amount of games then brandon cooks we're talking about potentially being a thousand yard receiver I, he has the talent to do so we've seen him do it before with elite quarterbacks namely drew Brees and tom brady and now that he's playing with another elite quarterback and deshaun watson he could have the opportunity to do that again and Yes, I know he played for the Rams. Yes, I know he played with Jared Goff, but Jared Goff is not an elite quarterback. Jared Goff is not a very good quarterback. Jared Goff is not a good quarterback. Jared Goff is a mediocre, average quarterback. He's in the same group with Jimmy Garoppolo and Carson Wentz. Bang average. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Can I go home now? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do do you you disagree? No, no, I do. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Jared Goff is a, is a very overrated quarterback. He's not Thank good. You. He's not good. Adam, now let me ask you this question. For all the, the Jared Goff people, because I'm told at least five times a day that my take on Jared Goff is absolutely horrendous. When they went to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. how many throws did Jared Goff have to make, really? He made – he didn't do anything against the Cowboys. They had the bye. Didn't do anything against the Cowboys. Then they go to New Orleans. He made one throw against New Orleans, a very, very good throw to keep them in the game, no doubt. But then they went to the Super Bowl. What did he do? Nothing. Nothing. He couldn't do anything. Nothing. God damn it. Bill, 
Bill Belichick in that Super Bowl dared Sean McVay to throw it. Dared him. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Well, I mean, the Rams should have been there anyway. But that's a different True. thing. True. The Cowboys should have been there. I, I absolutely 100% agree. No, I mean, the, the Saints should have been there. The Cowboys should have been there. I 100% agree. I'm glad, we're on, the, I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just no. Uh, there is also no tight end from uh, Houston that I'm – remotely interested in uh, in taking just to get this show uh back on track yeah considering i'm the one i'm the one that took us severely off track happens i'll be a i'll be a radio professional i'll get us right back on track don't you worry about it baby let's move on to the indianapolis Colts and their gunslinger quarterback in more ways than one in more ways than one philip rivers love puns we'll tell you that when you're older <laughs> Um, yeah, he had a, I think, I think he regressed, but he didn't, he really didn't regress. It was more of the chargers as a whole that regressed. Cause he had a solid season. I uh, threw for 4,600 yards, which is actually pretty, pretty good. I mean, I'm no expert or anything, but I think 4,600 yards is a pretty solid passing. Yeah. But also 20 mm-hmm. interceptions is a problem. Yeah. 20 interceptions is of course a problem. Second most in his career. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a, I don't know. But this is just, this is what Philip Rivers is now. This is not like, he's not like a young guy who's like, oh, well, you could just coach those interceptions out of him. This is what Philip Rivers is. He's a guy that, throw, that throws for a lot of yards, throws for a lot of touchdowns, but does turn the ball over a fair amount. And has lots of kids. And has lots of kids. He, he's prone to the four interception game. And that's kind of, it comes with the territory of, Phil, yes, of having. Philip Rivers on your team. There's going to be like maybe three times a season where he's just going to throw you a negative six and you're just going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to hold that shit. Sure. I mean, that's a very fair point. I mean, but, but at the end of the day, I think that Philip Rivers is actually a safer starting option than people uh, want to believe. I think if you're looking to pair a guy that you have taken higher like a Josh Allen, like a Carson Wentz, like a Matthew Stafford, someone that's a, that's a starter, but definitely carries you know a little bit of risk. I think Philip Rivers is actually a very good guy to complement that starter with and carry two quarterbacks because obviously this is the season where if for me in every league it doesn't matter if I'm taking Mahomes or if I'm taking. Uh, uh, Joe Burrow, let's say. I'm taking two quarterbacks in every single league just because you don't know what's going to happen with the five-letter V word. You don't know who's going to get it. You don't know what the conditions are going to be. And for me, Phillip Rivers is a guy that is so safe because you know what you're getting out of him. You're getting a guy that's going to throw for 4,000 yards, which is what I have him projected at. I have him at just under 4,000. I have him at three at 39.96 to be exact. I have him at 26 touchdowns. I have him at 16 interceptions. So you're looking for a guy that's going to get touchdowns and yards. That's Phil Rivers. He's volume, 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 volume. That is Philip Rivers. That is what he does in a nutshell. By the way, before we 
uh, continue down the hallway talking about the uh, the Colts. I'll throw it back to Adam uh, to talk about the uh, the running backs. Um, definitely have a backup plan for all of your leagues. I know that I've been working on my uh, tentative plans for what will happen if the season is postponed or canceled or you know put on hold, whatever. Um, so what I've done, and hopefully this will give uh, all the commissioners out there that are listening, or even if you're not a commissioner and you haven't heard from your commissioner and you want to suggest this to your commissioner, definitely go ahead and do it where I have down on paper to pretty much all of my leagues. I've, I've put this out there where after week eight, the season is official. I have also said that payment for all leagues will not be due until week eight. So if you want to pay in week six or week seven, that's totally fine. You want to pay beforehand. That's completely fine. But if the season is uh, postponed or anything like that before week eight, the leagues are refundable. So you get your money back and that's that. And then what happens after week eight, if the season is postponed where you don't get the fantasy playoffs, you need to crown a champion. What you would do is you take the team with the best record and whoever has the best record, whatever would be the presumptive number one seed in your playoffs, would win the league. Or if there's a tie for best record, you go ahead and give the championship to the team with the most points. So if you have two teams at six and two, or seven and two, and the season is postponed, you take that team with the highest points for, and that is your champion right then and there. So it's not exactly the, the best way of doing it, but. Uh, it's a tentative plan in case something does happen. I, I feel like every league needs something uh, to really go off of, given the uh, the true questions about whether or not the season is going to uh, to take place. And also, I have decided also uh, that if there is a postponement to the season, that the top three teams would be splitting the pot in all of my leagues. So, just. Just a little something out there, you know, if you want to take it any way you want and you want to change that up, uh, definitely go ahead and, and do that because, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't know what the hell's going to happen. So uh, just uh, definitely have a plan ready to go. But, uh, Adam, running backs. Yep, it's true. It's true. All right, so the uh, running back room in Indianapolis is kind of weird in the sense that you have a rookie in Jonathan Taylor who probably isn't going to get – as much usage because he is a rookie. Course, a rookie, yes. And then you have uh, Naeem Hines, who just is not going to get a lot of use on the ground, but he does do well catching balls out of the backfield. So that kind of leaves Marlon Mack to be kind of the odd guy out. And I think he might be traded either, like, you know, later into next month or maybe during the regular season because. I don't think Marlon Mack is the kind of running back that really want that a team wants to have as their third running back. I think he he can be in a complementary role for some team. So, yeah, I think that there's a, a player that does basically the Colts drafted a Marlon Mack that is better than Marlon Mack in Jonathan Taylor, and then, and once he's like accustomed to how the league works and the and up to speed, then by Felicia, Marlon Mack. Yeah, and we'll start with Jonathan Taylor. I, I, I like investing in the Colts' backfield because they have the, the second easiest strength of schedule for their running backs. So that is 
uh, something that you want to invest in immediately. But the question is, who is the guy that you really want to go and invest in? Do you want to invest in Jonathan Taylor, who's going in the fifth round, in that group that we just talked about? Sort of in the lower end of that group, the Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell sort of group. He's going on the later end of that. But I have, I have Jonathan Taylor down at just over 200 carries, at around 900 rushing yards, and around six touchdowns. Uh, the receptions are where he's going to hurt you. I have him down for 15 receptions at 147 receiving yards and one touchdown. So um, it's not ideal in PPR to want to go and invest in him, especially as a rookie, given the uncertain nature of you know what training camps are going to be consisting of. You don't know how far he is in terms of learning the playbook and if he knows the playbook right now. Uh, so we're probably going to see Marlon Mack uh, be utilized a little bit, especially earlier earlier in the season, which is definitely going to hurt Jonathan Taylor. So if you're taking him in the fifth round, you have to be patient. I look at Jonathan Taylor. I look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in Kansas City. I look at Miles Sanders, and I, I see what Miles Sanders was last season, and I say that these guys are exactly the same. You have to be patient with both Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor. As for Marlon Mack, Again, I do believe he's going to be used. I do believe there's a part to play for Marlon Mack, but I just don't see him being a usable starting running back unless something does happen to Jonathan Taylor or they just say, you know what, Marlon Mack is the guy. He knows the playbook. He knows what we're wanting to do. Then, yeah, I could see Marlon Mack being the guy. He's, he's going right now in the middle of round nine. So I think it's a good spot for, for Marlon Mack, but I just have never been a believer in him. Adam has never been a believer in him. I have him down for 150 carries at 703 rushing yards, five touchdowns, and I have him at 10 receptions for 96 yards. So I don't really expect a huge output from Marlon Mack, but for me, the guy that I am most interested in is, of course, Naeem Hines. And for me, it comes down to his PPR upside. If you are not playing PPR, first of all, you need to assess your life. You need to go talk to your commissioner and say, PPR is the new wave. Standard sucks. Get on the PPR bandwagon pretty please. PPR is standard, honestly, at this point. It, at this point, it is. Yeah, at, at this point, it is. But with Naeem, with Naeem Hines, you look at what Phil Rivers did with a pass-catching running back in Los Angeles slash San Diego with Austin Eckler. This is what Naeem Hines could be. He could be a poor man's a poor man's Austin Eckler. And I don't think he's going to offer much on the ground. I have him down for 60 carries for 225 yards and two rushing touchdowns. But then with the receptions, that's where I'm very interested in Naeem Hines. I have him down for 60 receptions for 415 yards and three receiving touchdowns, where I even think that if Phillip Rivers can develop a rapport with Naeem Hines, I think that number can go up. So I'm a big fan of Naeem Hines, and he's going right now in the middle of the 12th. Give me that all day long. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I wholeheartedly agree with you, like I said. All right, moving on to the wide receivers and the tight ends. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is the guy here in Indianapolis. And you'd think that, I mean, once Philip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton get that kind of chemistry, they're a whore with each other, that it could turn into a Philip Rivers-Keaton Allen situation. And 
as far as the other receivers are concerned, the, you like Michael Pittman, but he is a rookie and yeah. at risk of repeating ourselves, which we hate doing. Um, rookies are already, I mean, the learning curve for rookies is already, is already steep. Yeah. At this point, the learning curve is like the Matterhorn where, or like a, uh, a half pipe on its side where basically the curve goes all the way up into a ledge. It's just not good. Just not good. No, it's, it's not good. But I think in terms of the, the Colts receivers, uh, I am very interested in T Y Hilton, given where he is going right now. He's basically outside the top 24 receivers, which for me is crazy, but Based on his projections, I have him right at wide receiver 24, and that's where I have him ranked. I have T.Y. Hilton down for 76 receptions, 1,082 yards, and six touchdowns. I think T.Y. Hilton, you know what you're getting with him. He's so safe. Phillip Rivers knows he's the top guy in this offense, and he's going to use T.Y. Hilton regardless. I think with Michael Pittman, I do see him having some value with the red zone because just because – Philip Rivers loves throwing to bigger guys when they're in close. It's what he did for basically a living in uh, with the, when he was with the Chargers. So I think Michael Pittman has some value there, but I don't really have him doing much. I have him down for 40 receptions for 400 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, I, I don't really see him being a massive player in this offense yet. Paris Campbell could be interesting, but for me, Jack Doyle is an interesting late-round tight end considering there's no Eric Ebron there anymore. Phillip Rivers does love throwing to his tight ends. So if you're asking me, Jack Doyle right now is going very, very late in drafts. I really like Jack Doyle given his value, but he's not someone that I'm really willing to go out of my way for just because I feel like they're better options. With the later tight ends, I have him down for 55 receptions, 537 yards, and four touchdowns. I just feel like they're better tight ends there. We'll talk about one guy who I happen to like more in just a little bit, and John U. Smith from the Tennessee Titans. I like Blake Jarwin a whole lot more. I think he is just outstanding given how Dak Prescott just loves throwing to tight ends. And, you know, fun fact about uh, – the Cowboys offense and Dak Prescott, really um, the lowest season of his career in terms of th- targeting tight ends was 92 Dak Prescott. So he has targeted the tight ends at least a hundred times every season of his career with the lowest being 92. And you need to look at the available targets now that are in Dallas with the departures of Randall Cobb, Jason Witten and Tavon Austin. There are about 160 targets that are available. So if you're saying that maybe 80 targets go to CD lamb and then another 80 go to Jack Doyle or excuse me, go to Blake Jarwin and maybe you sprinkle in some more from elsewhere. I think Blake Jarwin could be in for a, a breakout sort of season in Dallas. Uh, TJ Hawkinson. I like a lot more. Mike Gesicki. I like, you know, a fan. So it, that's just how I feel about, uh, about Blake Jarwin. So uh, about Blake Jarwin, about Jack Doyle. Well, it is how you feel about Blake Jarwin. But uh, love like love like also how you feel about Jack Doyle. Yes, it, it is. It is how I feel about Jack Doyle. Unfortunately, a little tongue tied here. 
Next team is probably going to be the worst team in this entire division, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, oh, God, this team's probably going to win three games. I wouldn't be shocked if they win two games if the, because we are in peak Jacksonville right now. They're, they're terrible again. It was a good run, about a, year, about a year and a half, and then everything went to shit. What happens when you lose Blake Bortles? Record record time. Um, (laughs) So really the only player that's worth looking at as far as starting potential is Leonard Fournette, their star running back. But I think Gardner Minshew definitely is worth checking out in, uh, as you said, two quarterback leagues, or if you're in a deeper league and you need a buy fill-in, Gardner Minshew definitely – has the potential to have big games. And he, I mean, he could be a serviceable uh, replacement either on the bye or if an injury happens, God forbid, to one of your quarterbacks. Yeah, I think so. I think in a two QB league, I think he's a, uh, a serviceable starting option. I think if you're looking for a guy later in the draft that, you know, is going to be in in uh, in really good situations to boost his numbers. Being down late in games, I think Gardner Minshew can can be your guy. I mean, I have him down for about thirty eight hundred passing yards, twenty three touchdowns, and thirteen interceptions. I also have him being pretty effective with his legs as well. I have him down for about seventy attempts at three twenty five and two two rushing touchdowns. So. I think that where, that's where he is going to make a lot of his uh, his his living this season is going to be uh, late in games when they're just going to be throwing, 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 throwing. Uh, the issue with me is going to be turnovers. Gardner Minshew uh, is known to turn the ball over a bit. Uh, I also have him down for about six fumbles, so that's kind of a problem with with Gardner Minshew. But you know what you're getting when you're drafting. You're drafting him. Uh, you know he should not be drafted for me in leagues where you're starting only one quarterback in two QB leagues. Yeah. You can start him as your QB too. I think that's fine. Um, but I would rather, I would say there's probably better options out there than Gardner Minshew. Ideally I would have him as my third QB in a two QB league, but yeah, I think Gardner Minshew, if you're looking for just a guy to run at your QB room, I think Gardner Minshew could be, yeah, could be your guy. All right. Uh, so you want to move on to the running back? So learn sure. from that. It Leonard Fournette obviously is uh, is the guy there. He's the best player on the team, and also interestingly, they brought in Chris Thompson, who as a uh, Leonard Fournette's backup, who could definitely eat into some usage for Leonard Fournette. But Chris Thompson has that injury history, so you don't really know like what's really gonna be happening as far as Chris Thompson is concerned. Uh, what, what's your take on the situation? Well, I think the natural handcuff for Leonard Fournette is actually Raquel Armstead. Uh, I think Chris Thompson is going to play a part just because of his relationship with Jake Rudin and how Jake Rudin absolutely loves Chris Thompson. So I think on third downs, we're going to see Chris Thompson, you know, really have his role for this football team. So that is going to hurt Leonard Fournette a bit. I had to adjust his rankings and his, proje- his projections a little bit. Uh, just based on that, uh, I originally had him down for about 55 receptions, but uh, I had to tick him down a little bit to around 46, 47 receptions. So in terms of his rushing attempts, I have him down at about 230 attempts, which is good 
for about 957 yards and seven touchdowns for his receptions. Again, I have him at about 46, 47 receptions coming in at around 348 receiving yards. So overall, we're talking about 1,200 yards from scrimmage for Leonard Fournette, and I have him down for two receiving touchdowns. So he, he's basically covering around a 9-10 touchdown guy, which I think is fine. I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be crazy, but I think the, the ceiling is obviously there for more because of Leonard Fournette's talent. Leonard Fournette's playing for his cash, so we know that, that is a big motivator for, uh, for guys, and I think Leonard Fournette is definitely going to have a, a point to prove given uh, what happened uh, this, this past offseason and in other offseasons with uh, the Jaguars in terms of uh, how they've treated him. And um, I think he's going to have a real point to prove, and if this is his last season in Jacksonville, then he's going to go out with a bang, hopefully, or at least that's what he's going to hope for. Yep, that's the plan. All right, moving on to the receivers. This is a uh, – this group is – It's DJ Chark and then everybody else. Yes, that is correct. DJ Chark had a phenomenal season last year. I mean, for a rookie, I mean, he's, it was still a great season. But I think the upside's there for DJ Chark – uh, one player that I know that you really liked during the draft process was yeah. LaVisca Cheneau, Yep, who is going to be in this uh, receiving core. And really, the only player you're kind of looking at here is DJ Chark, because Chris Conley and D.D. Westbrook are just not there for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And also at tight end, it's just kind of shit too, because you have Tyler Eifert, who is probably not going to be playing the whole season. Josh Oliver, who is kind of like a nobody, really. And then James O'Shaughnessy, who is a serviceable third-string tight end. You mean O'Shaughnessy Hennessy? Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, DJ Chark had a very nice season last year. 118 targets, 73 receptions, over 1,000 yards, and eight touchdowns. I have his numbers pretty much exactly in line with what he had last season. I have him down for around 74 catches. I have him down for 975 receiving yards, down for seven touchdowns. And I think that that room could potentially, you have room for more just because of whose quarterback is Gardner Minshew, who loves DJ Chark. They had a really nice rapport last year. And I think that's set to to continue this season. So uh, I think DJ Chark, you know, he could be a receiver that you can get in the middle of the draft and you'd be very happy with, with getting him. Yeah, I think, I think so. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Moving on to our final team, because obviously the tight ends for the Jacksonville Jaguars are not worth talking about as far as fantasy is concerned. Our final team is the Tennessee Titans, the presumptive AFC South champions in 2020. But let's not crown him yet. But, I mean, this team... You know what happens when you assume, Adam. I know. I, I, I'm aware. And this team runs literally through Derrick Henry. Yeah. Derrick Henry is the guy. Literally I, and figuratively. Yes. I've been... I've told Bird multiple times now that this team reminds me of the 2009-2010 New York Jets because they, their identity is about running the football... Their quarterback play is good but not great. And basically the team relies on their running backs to set them up in uh, good positions. 
And if a team tries to make them, if a team tries to make the Titans beat them with Ryan Tannehill on his own, then the Titans will falter, which is kind of what happened in the AFC Championship game uh, this year or last year against the Kansas City Chiefs, where they put up a good fight, but it just wasn't it wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean Ryan Tannehill. I think I think he's a very safe option. I really, really do. Um, at the end of the day, I think Ryan Tannehill, you're looking at a guy that's a 3,800-yard passer. I have him down for 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, nothing spectacular, but very, very safe. He's the long-term guy now in Tennessee, plain and simple. But I look at him, and I also see a guy that has the fifth toughest schedule for quarterbacks. So that is going to be a bit of an issue. So the way I look at it is I also see Ryan Tannehill being a guy that will get it done with his legs. We've seen that happen. So I look at Ryan Tannehill. I say he could be a two touchdown guy with his legs, get, get you some rushing touchdowns. I see a guy also that is a, that could be a 25 touchdown guy with his arm. So if you're looking for a guy that's safe, looking for a guy that's going to give you a safe floor, maybe not a you know, massively high ceiling, Ryan Tannehill could be your guy. Yep, definitely. I agree. Uh, at running back, uh, Derrick Henry. So there you go. That's it. <laughs> Derrick yep. Henry, send yep. tweet. Just Derrick Henry is amazing. Yeah, Adam, you said you, uh, you feel like you have Derrick Henry at around 300 carries? Yes, I, I have said that. He, he's the kind of – he's an old-school running back. He's very much – in the vein of, you know, like Sean Alexander, Curtis Martin, uh, Eddie George, Ladanian Tomlinson, without the receiving, of course. Yeah, I, I have him down at exactly 291 attempts. So that's about all you need to know. I also have him down for uh, 1,445 rushing yards at 12 touchdowns. And then I also have him down for 18 receptions at 186 yards and one receiving touchdown. So you're basically talking about a guy that's going to get you 1,500 yards from scrimmage. He's a first-round pick. You should be drafting him in the first round in your drafts. And it's Derrick Henry. You yep. know what you're getting from him. You're not drafting him for his receiving ability. I'll tell you that. No, 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 no. You're not getting anything from PPR, but you are getting a guy that is going to give you 20 carries every single week and is going to be absolutely ridiculous at doing that because he's just a bowling ball. He just goes right through people, and that's that. I think I've said in the past that he is the best running back in the National Football League when it comes to running in a straight line. Yes. And honestly, in the, in the NFL, that's an achievement. So good on him. All right, moving on to the Tennessee Titans receivers and tight ends. So you kind of hinted earlier with that how much you like Johnny Smith but yep. before that let's talk about AJ Brown and Corey Davis Corey Davis is a superstar he should be drafted number one overall in every single league he's going to have 40 million receiving yards with 30 million touchdowns he's going to get you 10 million rushing yards and get you 5 million rushing touchdowns and the Titans are going to win the Super Bowl phenomenal analysis Thank you very much. What I'm here for. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not drafting Corey Davis. He needs to get out of Tennessee in order to uh, resurrect his career. But 
I do want to talk about AJ Brown. For me, he's a guy that I am not touching just because of how inconsistent he was last season in terms of his usage. I have him down right now for 57 receptions, 1,032 yards, and six touchdowns. That's what I have him at. Let's look at his numbers, and this is where I'm going to prove my point about A.J. Brown not being the most consistent guy in the world. Yeah, he'll give you some boom games. Absolutely. But look at his targets. Four, five, five, three, two, four, eight, three, seven, four, five, four, seven, 13, two, eight. That's all over the map. What a weird line graph that would make. It is all, it, the, the, and now this is a podcast, but the line graph would go down, up, down, up, down, down, up, 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 down, 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 up, up, up. It would look like a fucking EKG. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. But A.J. Brown is talented. I mean, no doubt about it, but there's just a lot of questions when, com- when it comes to this offense. I think, you know, if they're winning a game, they're in the fourth quarter, the six minutes to go, they're giving the ball to Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown is completely out of the game, and you're, you're just sitting there and you're saying to yourself, well, A.J. Brown has three catches for 50 yards. Okay, that is going to get me eight points today. Awesome. But if they're down in games, you know A.J. Brown's going to get looks. So it really comes down to how, how do you feel the Titans are going to be. If you feel like the Titans are going to be terrible, then you're going to take A.J. Brown. If you feel like they're going to be good, then you're probably better off taking Derrick Henry. I don't think there's a, there's a situation where both of them have outstanding weeks, unless, of course, you know it's a bomb to A.J. Brown. But at the end of the day, I just don't see A.J. Brown being a consistent fantasy weapon um, for now. But there's obviously room to grow for him, and I could be very wrong on that because I, I liked A.J. Brown coming out. I thought he was a very talented receiver coming out of Ole Miss, and uh, – you know, he could, he could potentially be a guy that wins people leagues, but at the same time, he could be someone that really hurts people in the long run. As for Johnny Smith, yeah, I like Johnny Smith. I like him a lot. I think he's a very talented tight end. Uh, I think he's very capable. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of tight ends in that sort of range that I do like more than Johnny Smith, but the upside is, is, is pretty tremendous with him. I have him down for 52 receptions at 550 yards and five touchdowns. So it's a very solid return for a guy that you're taking right now with at around the tight end 14, tight end 15 range, which if you're telling me that you can get that, that's pretty good. Yeah, the interesting thing about the Titans is if you draft anybody on the Titans other than Derrick Henry, you're basically hoping that the Titans suck and that they're bad and that that they're losing – not even that they suck, just that they go into every single fourth quarter losing. Yeah. Because that's the only way that anybody not named Derrick Henry is getting the ball. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, and they don't give you points for handing the ball off or else Ryan Tannehill will be a stud. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. You can find all episodes under the Basement Talk Podcast umbrella on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well as SoundCloud. Please keep your eyes and ears peeled for later in the week when we talk about the NFC South. And also the third uh, semifinal for the Quizvitational. We are going to be recording that hopefully tomorrow. If not tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, we'll be recording it 
on Wednesday with eyes for a release on Thursday. So definitely uh, stay tuned for the Basement Talk Podcast Quiz Invitational Chapter 7. This is Chapter 7 now. Wow. Uh, the Challenge Part 3. So definitely uh, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Yep. For my co-host Ed Birdsall, I'm Adam Castro, and we'll talk to you next time on the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. Bye-bye.